0: In the Netflix movie Kodachrome, Matt Ryder, played by Jason Sudeikis, is convinced to drive his estranged and dying father, Benjamin Ryder, played by Ed Harris, across the country to deliver four old roles of Kodachrome film. Along with Ben's nurse Zoe, played by Elizabeth Olsen, the three navigate a world changing from analog to digital while trying to put the past behind them. In this interview, screenwriter Jonathan Tropper talks about characters with a lack of filter, An understanding of Screenwriting 101, finding peers as an artist, why creators need to create, his seven-year journey with the Netflix film Kodo Chrome, and a few details about his new Cinemax project, Warrior. Also, don't forget to listen to our first chat with Jonathan Tropper for Banshee, and this is where I leave you back in episode 31 of the podcast series.
1: It, it wasn't initially. I, I wasn't the one who found the article. I had actually, um, the guys at 21 Laps showed it to me. That's uh, Sean Levy's company. Um, I had just popped in there to say hello. I had been working with them on something else. And when I was leaving, uh, Dan Levine, uh, who runs uh, Sean's company, handed me the uh, article and said, see if this uh, sparks your interest at all. And you know, The article was essentially just about uh, the end of Kodachrome film and how all these photographers were descending on Parsons, Kansas uh, to get their last roles of Kodachrome developed ever. And um, I guess I, I had sort of been playing with the idea of wanting to do this father and son story, and it just it felt like a great backdrop for that, um, driving across the country to go get to Parsons, Kansas to develop film. It just seemed so outdated and poignant and and real and um it also just seemed like a great allegory uh, for sort of the uh you know the changing of the guard you know going from analog to digital and fa- you know son to father and father to son and it just it felt like a an allegory that would really live on the screen without having to you know hit it very hard
0: we actually did an interview back in 2016 and you mentioned um part of the key to your writing process for creating a good story is to find uh, imperfect people doing imperfect thing, which is certainly the case for this new film. Can you kind of talk about how you start to shake the three main characters?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you know, in my mind, uh, I, I kind of started from the point of view of Matt, the son, I guess, because he's he's really closest in, in age to me. And, um, you know, thinking about this guy who, be, you know, because he's in the record business, is also being affected by, you know, the new digital music world which gives him something uh, in common with his father, even though he doesn't think he has anything in common with his father. And so I just started thinking about him and, and what his relationship with his father was and how that kind of affected him. And after spending some time, you know, thinking about how, how controlling, you know, he is and how sort of, how he shares the same sort of artistic temperament of his father, which is actually now hampering him at work because, Uh, you know, his insistence on artistic integrity is actually hurting his bottom line with his record label. Um, You know, just this guy who, you know, while hating his father has certain traits that he shares with him that he's not even aware of. And that got me, that sort of segued into me thinking about, you know, Benjamin, the father and, and somebody who was, you know, so committed to not just his art, but to sort of, you know, his own immortality as an artist that he kind of left everything behind and, and failed on every other level in his personal relationships. And, you know, he became a, a pretty easy character to to craft in that regard as somebody who's you know, not a bad guy, but who's so consumed with his determination to be great that he left his wife and son hanging. Um, so those two sort of dovetailed into each other and it became really easy to continue to shape Matt once I better understood Ben and, you know, to give Ben, you know, certain personality traits once, once math started to really take shape and then Zoe was sort of the outlier she um, what i wanted to do was have somebody who could kind of who was smart enough and tough enough you know to moderate and to mediate between these two who would constantly be going at each other you know they're both a little hyperverbal and they're both going at each other with, with in really nasty almost horrifying ways and i needed somebody who would be unfazed and able to mediate that. Uh, But what was important to me was that she be equally complicated, that she's not just there to serve that purpose, but that, you know, she has her own demon she's running from. And, you know, being around these two guys who keep, you know, slinging arrows at each other, you know, there's no way that she's not eventually going to get hit as well. And so it really became a a three-hander in that respect.
0: There is some really harsh dialogue in the film. Did you ever feel like you had maybe written yourself into a corner or was the overall journey and plot kind of strong enough to push through these, these harsh comments?
1: Well, my goal was really to, to have these two guys really trying to hurt each other and really saying awful things to each other and, and, I never thought it would paint me into a corner because ultimately, you know, when you have two people who haven't talked in so long and you have Matt who's harboring so much anger and resentment towards his father, um, you know, there's two ways to play that character. One way is completely repressed where he's holding it all in and simmering and then he explodes. Um, but I thought it would be more interesting if they both share the same lack of filter when it comes to each other and just, you know, really unload at each other, and in some way, all that unloading ultimately gives them the ability to talk to each other in an honest way. so I, I was never worried that they would damage each other to the point where it wouldn't seem realistic for them to then have a an honest you know rec- you know conciliatory conversation. It was just all about creating a level of honesty even through that brutality that then enabled them to talk to each other without the brutality.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the logistics of the writing process, especially for these characters? It seems like there would be problems when you put three people in a convertible, either with, you know, there's one scene where it looks like they're almost slowed down for traffic, which I assume was to help with some of the dialogue. And there's other scenes where you just kind of have to pull one character out so two people can talk. Did you have any problems coming up with situations where you can put two characters together?
1: No, I, I think that's really kind of screenwriting one hundred and one. I, I, that, that to me was never really tricky. The traffic decision was actually the director's decision, and I think I, I think it was less about. I mean, we're able to have conversations with them in a process trailer going at any speed um, within reason. I, I think the uh, the traffic decision was more about um, a feeling of being trapped together. Like you know, they're all. They're all angry at each other from what happened at the house the night before. And they don't even have the release of speeding down a highway like they're stuck. So I I think that was more of a directorial decision. It had nothing to do with being able to have the conversation. Um, But, you know, Ben being a photographer, you can always have him step off to take pictures. I mean, it's on any any situation, it's pretty easy. You know, you could have somebody fall asleep in the car or just simply... Not be participating in the conversation and looking out the window. I never, I don't remember spending a lot of time um, doing that kind of math
0: at all. So, with Benjamin's character, played by Ed Harris, uh, the father in the movie, um, he kind of gives a a monologue or a rant halfway through about kind of filling this void or filling this pit. He doesn't quite, but he mentions Hemingway and Picasso in a way that he may compare himself to them or at least think in that mindset. Do you have any historical references you were using to create this character?
1: You know, not particularly. I mean, I think probably, um, I did think a lot about Hemingway just in terms of the fact, you know, but you think about Hemingway, you think of Kurt Cobain, you think of all these guys, there's something, there's something tortured that, you know, the same thing that makes them sort of create, you know, brilliance is actually wrecking them on a personal level. And, you know, I think, you know, when you listen to certain artists, if you, like, if you like music, there are certain artists you listen to, and the music they write during their chaotic years is so much more compelling than once they sort of got married and settled down and became parents, and, you know, it loses a certain edge. And I, I think, you know, the creative process in general benefits from torture, but they never think about how the individual, you know, suffers, if not for his art, suffers simply because of the same thing that generates the art um so whether it's actors or artists or singers or you know anybody who's who's creating i think there's just um a level of unrest in their soul and a level of unrest in them and maybe that generates great art but it it doesn't make for you know a really um contented lifestyle
0: do you think do you think some of that is going away as well, like as far as shaping this character as an artist? Do you think there are still, you know, creators out there today who are trying to be like that and like it coming out it feels like there's so much marketing now and being a creator a creator, or there's still people out there that are just after the process like that?
1: I think uh, I think that's always going to exist. I think that's that's just part of human nature. I think, you know, in some ways that's what separates us from the animals, right? There's an urge to create. And whether it's, a you know, a graffiti artist on a wall that 10 people are going to see or whether it's somebody who's getting paid millions of dollars for their paintings, I think, you know, look at how many people are acting who aren't getting paid well to act and but who just need to act and, you know, are probably working three jobs just so they could go do some community theater play. And, you know, people who are directing little movies for the Internet that maybe no one will see and people who are writing. I mean, I think people need to create and they do it, you know, we only, you know, hear about the ones that maybe hit a certain, you know, critical mass of recognition, but I don't think, you know, I think, I think marketing has gotten much bigger and maybe that's putting eyeballs on some more than others, but I think that need to create was there long before marketing and, you know, exists independently of it.
0: So you mentioned reading this article. I assume you one of your first ideas was probably the scene where, you know, he finally does get there and there are other photographers there. Do you write your screenplays in order or do you write the, the compelling scenes first that come to you first?
1: I, I actually write very much in order. I find it hard to go later without having written what comes before. Um, and, you know, initially when I had written, I, I wrote the Parsons, Kansas stuff so many different ways, but it. I always wrote it. When it appeared in the script, chronologically, but you know there were there were versions of that where it was much bigger, where there were, you know, where he was standing in a room and talking to you know, an assembly of of hundreds of photographers. Like there, there were we try I tried that a lot of different ways, and then it, it came down to who the performers were, what the budget was, and what felt you know the most uh, t- tied into the story we were telling. But um, I do always write in order.
0: What is your outlining process like for a film like this? It's not a disciplined one, what I'll generally
1: do is i'll I'll write the first bunch of scenes uh, with no plan um but like i have I have a rough overall idea in my head of what the story is which I had to do because I had to pitch that to get the job so I had a rough overall idea that we're gonna have all this set up you know before they go on the road trip and then there's gonna be the road trip and then they're gonna get to Chicago where Matt has to see his band and then they're gonna get to Uh, Kansas, uh, which is their ultimate destination. And, um, and I had, you know, I had an outline of events that happened at each stop along the way. Um, But what happens is once you write and, and you know, you write a certain amount of scenes, you realize some of the stuff you have planned is going to be redundant or doesn't work or isn't necessary. And then, you know, then it becomes a, uh, a game of sort of reformulating over and over again, getting rid of the inessential stuff. And, uh, you know, discovering new things that actually meant more than you thought they would and, and exploring those with a few extra scenes. So, you know, I think that's probably the case of anybody writing a script. And, you know, in general, the outline just serves to make you to give you the false impression that you have a map. And uh, then along the way, you you take a lot of detours to to get to where you want to end up.
0: So like with this story or like your, your books, like One Last Thing Before I Go or This Is Where I Leave You, um, you know, besides being a male yourself, are there other things that that inspires you to you know shape these characters? That are uh, someone said the midlife male coming of age story. Like, what kind of attracts you to that character?
1: Well, it's probably something I have the deepest insight into in that you know I'm constantly you know I'm in midlife coming of age constantly. Um, but I, I just like you know I like writing about relationships other than romantic relationships and and. You know, I have a particular fascination with the way men uh, today's man has a lot of trouble communicating with other men, um, and I like to find ways um, ways of dramatizing on screen this sort of the, the failure of communication between men. Um, so that's something that I think, for whatever reason, I'm drawn to. Um, in general, I'm drawn to the dynamics of family and how they shape us, and how you know the things that we carry with us even though we think we've outgrown them you know that discovery over and over again that you've never quite outgrown your childhood um so you know and then you know like everything else i just like you know i like coming up with characters that are going to bang against each other in interesting ways and create drama and comedy and you know stuff that um stuff that's both entertaining and illuminating to the to the reader or viewer
0: this uh next question may be a bit of a spoiler, but uh towards the end of the film there's like a camera flash type twenty one gun salute type thing where did that is that something real or something you made up for the story
1: That's something I made up, and uh I wasn't sure how I felt about it It's a slightly um i wouldn't say it's surrealist, but it's almost a surrealistic moment in the film where I just wanted to uh in some way drive home. Um, the the notion that you know every group of artists ultimately forms some kind of community, even if they don't know each other. You become part of a certain community when you um, move into a certain artistic endeavor, and the notion that even if you've been sold one, even if you're a loner, you there's still you know when you're in the arts, there's always going to be a group of people you you belong to. It's something I. I feel very strongly, you know, as a novelist and then as somebody who worked in film and T V, you just you suddenly have all these peers and even though you don't work in the same office building and you might not see each other all the time and in some cases you might only meet each other once, there's a there's a confederacy and there's a camaraderie of people struggling, you know, to be artists in a world that's not terribly friendly to art and so I just wanted to create this moment where even though Ben is such a difficult person and you know, has, has, you know, been, been terrible to most of the people in his life. There's still a community that claims him and that's what was behind that scene. And, you know, I, I never felt hundred percent comfortable with it, but I could never bring myself to remove it. And it's an emotional beat that, you know, I think, uh, I just felt belonged in the story.
0: I've just got one or two more for you. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this film? Um, as we kind of move forward that we didn't already discuss? No, honestly, I'm just so thrilled that
1: we're actually having this conversation because I, I wrote the initial script seven years ago for 20th Century Fox, and it's been through a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, versions of how it was going to get made with big movie stars, with big directors, with little directors, but yeah. It's just it's been it's been all over the map, and it's it's been dormant at times for you know 18 months and. You know it's it's not an easy thing uh, to get a movie made and it's not an easy thing to get one out of a studio and then reformulate it as an independent film and you know I was just really lucky that you know the producers involved um, you know the Gotham group and and twenty one Laps just believed in it so much that they never really stopped taking my calls and my you know, my bugging them to please don't let this thing die. And and eventually, you know, they found a way to get it made in a way that I think was really faithful to uh, what the spirit of the project was.
0: So last time we spoke, uh, you actually mentioned um, a project you're working on. It looks like it's almost ready to so either start filming or start moving forward Is is Warrior. I've also noticed your fascination with Bruce Lee. Can you tell us a little about Warrior and where that's at?
1: Sure. We're, we're, we're shooting that literally, as I talk to you, we are shooting it. Um, we've been shooting it since, uh, we've been shooting it since January and we're about, uh, we're shooting episodes, uh, we're, we're shooting episodes seven and eight right now. We've got three more episodes to film and, uh, we're filming it in Cape town, South Africa, which is an adventure. And, uh, it's going great. It's, it's a really complicated show. It's got a lot of moving parts. It's got, uh, you know, eleven or twelve series regulars. and it's uh, it's sort of a really exciting uh, you know period piece about uh, you know the first you know the first real thriving Chinatown in san francisco and and the uh, systemic racism that the Chinese immigrants faced, um, and the tong wars that went on, you know, between the rival gangs in Chinatown which is a great backdrop to also do a really cool martial arts story, uh, in tribute to Bruce Lee, who had the original idea for this show. Um, so it's been super exciting for me as a lifelong Bruce Lee fan to be able to work with his daughter and with Justin Lin and and the people who have shepherded and held on to this, this idea for so long. Um, it's been a lot of fun and I think we're doing, you know, the kind of martial arts sequences that really, uh, don't exist on TV right now, and at the same time, we're, you know, thanks to our current political climate, we're also telling a really relevant story about uh, immigration. So it's, uh, I'm really excited at the way it's turning out. And I think it will, uh, I think it's going to air in uh, early 2019.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course master the freelancer mindset this system will teach you exactly how to find clients online which includes step 1 the psychology of the mindset step 2 how to create a killer profile and step 3 how to find quality clients this online course is valued at $99 it can be yours for free in addition to the free course you'll get access to the ebook how Hollywood screenwriters annihilate writer's block this contains advice from Aaron Sorkin Carrie Fukunaga and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.